0: Our mind is constantly trying to make predictions about how reality is going to unfold. Our brain does this largely unconsciously, but obviously we do it consciously as well. And when there's a mismatch between what we think is going to happen and what actually does happen, usually there's an emotional response. You have found the Thinking Mind podcast. I think obviously people talk about emotions a lot but what we don't mention or we don't discuss is what is our conception of what emotions actually are. What are emotions? Why do we have them? And more than that, what are the different functions that different emotions serve? And all of these things are important to understand before we talk about how we can regulate our emotions or what might affect our emotions, make them more or less intense, how we can adjust our emotions to increase the quality of our lives, we first have to have this first principles discussion of what are the different functions that emotions can serve and what are the modifying forces that can affect our emotions. So in this podcast, we'll be talking about you know a, a way to think about emotions, think about what they're for, how they came about, what are the modifying forces that affect the way we experience emotion and then we're going to talk about some examples of the most common emotions and what their functions are and then we're going to go through some discussion points at the end. So what are emotions? There isn't really a consensus definition this is definitely a complex phenomenon and most people tend to define emotions in terms of how they relate to their field so if you're a behaviorist you might talk about emotions in terms of how they affect behavior Whereas if you're a cognitive scientist, you might talk about emotions in terms of how they affect your thoughts and so on and so forth. Broadly speaking, you can talk about emotions as being, you know, a variety of different states of mind associated, obviously, with strong subjective sensations, but also neurophysiological patterns like sweating, your heart rate, causing things like tremor as well. They obviously affect our thoughts and our behavior. And emotions are broadly divided into either the positive or negative categories. Obviously positive emotions like joy or gratitude. Then there are negative emotions like anxiety, fear, sadness, anger, etc. What are emotions for? Emotions are good to motivate us towards some kind of behavior very, very quickly thoughts are a bit different in this respect so thoughts might be more if we want to move towards the behavior but it's something that we want to take some time to think on and reflect on and motivate some kind of action in the medium to long term but if you need something done quickly normally it happens via an emotional process if you're crossing the road and you see a car is coming you don't have time to think or reflect on this you need to have a system in your body that's going to kick you into action immediately so that happens you're gonna get a huge fear response you're gonna get a surge of adrenaline and that's gonna get you to move out of the way in the split second that you need to to uh, stop stop yourself from being killed so emotions are necessary for speed aside from external behaviors emotions also motivate introspective or reflective processes too obviously emotions can also inform us about our values and our morality and lastly Emotions are a way of letting us know when our expectations are different from reality. So one one way you can think about what our mind does is our mind is constantly trying to make predictions about how reality is going to unfold. Our brain does this largely unconsciously, but obviously we do it consciously as well. And when there's a mismatch between what we think is going to happen and what actually does happen usually there's an emotional response and again this can happen in a positive or a negative direction so if it's your birthday and you think no one no one's telling you happy birthday and no one's out to celebrate your birthday you might feel very sad because. You were expecting, you had the expectation that people would want to celebrate your birthday. But then when you go home and you open the door and there's a big surprise party and all your friends and family are there, you might feel very, very happy. You'd feel happier probably than if you knew there was going to be a party. So the fact that there's there's a violation of expectation in a positive direction gives you more intense happiness than you would have previously thought. More intense happiness than otherwise. Whereas if you thought people were going to celebrate your birthday, and then they don't, then that that might make you very sad. So your brain is constantly trying to model and make predictions about what reality is likely to be, usually based on what you've experienced in the past. It's probably important to know that all the emotions we're going to talk about can be healthy, but they can also express themselves in an unhealthy way as well. And Of course, emotions can also be subject to a variety of different kinds of modifying forces. So what kind of forces are those? Emotions can be modified by biological forces, for example, drugs, quality of sleep, quality of food, the weather, physical activities, neurological problems, etc. Emotions can be modified by psychological forces like trauma, personality traits, levels of maturity across life, relationship dynamics that you might be a part of and of course also social forces like being isolated versus being a part of a group, cultural forces, forces within your society, group trends, things along those lines. So let's go through some common emotions and think what are their functions like why did these emotions even exist? Why are they adaptive? Why did part of the evolutionary process preserve these emotions within our our mental experience? sadness. What's the point of sadness? Sadness helps us to reflect on something important that's been lost. So common occasions when people feel sad, you think about someone going through their first breakup, they feel sad because their relationship meant something to them, was, was important to them, brought value to their life. And the breakup makes them reflect on, you know, what, what were those good things about being in a relationship? Or if someone passes away and you spend time, we go through a grieving process to reflect on what that person meant to us and the value that they brought to our life. Or even losing something, losing an important possession, losing a job losing an opportunity, all of these things, sadness helps us to give us that time to reflect. And that's why typically when you're sad, like what are the behaviors that sadness leads to? It tends to lead to a degree of isolation. You spend some time alone. You spend a few days thinking about things. And that's healthy, certainly in small doses, obviously, like all emotions, if it continues excessively, if it's excessively intense or goes on for a prolonged period of time, then it can become unhealthy. But... But essentially, that's what sadness is for, to reflect on something important that's lost. Anger. What's anger for? So anger helps us to either deal with some kind of threat, when we're directly being threatened, or if there's an important obstacle that takes a lot of energy, anger can provide that motivating force to burst through an obstacle. So if you think about a threat, let's say you're backed into a corner by someone that's intimidating you, that's physically threatening. Anger can provide you with the energy that you need to defend yourself. And that could be physically defending yourself against someone, but obviously it could also be mentally or verbally. If you're in a board meeting and someone says something that you think is actually threatening to, to you, to your position, or, or, or to the value that you perceive that you're bringing t- to that situation, that can make you very angry and that anger can motivate you to take the action that you need to take in order to defend yourself. And then separately, anger can also help us, like I mentioned, to best through an obstacle that's difficult, that, that's quite resistant. So for example, if people make fun of you because you're out of shape, uh, anger can be a motivating force to do the things you need to do, to go to the gym, to go running, to lift weights, to do the things you need to do to get what you want. And then we can have a separate conversation about whether or not anger is the healthiest uh, source of fuel, you know, to achieve what you want in life. Um, but like sadness, I think in in small doses, it can be quite beneficial and healthy um, to make use of, of, of this kind of emotion. Disgust. Disgust is an emotion that helps us avoid something that's potentially toxic. And we can appreciate this most clearly on a physical level if you leave the garbage in your kitchen too long and it starts to smell we get a bit of a disgust response to prompt us to remove the remove the garbage why because that smell might be uh, indicative of a build-up of unwanted things like bacteria can bring pests and things along those lines which can actually And especially pre-civilization, these things could be very dangerous, even more dangerous than it is now. And so disgust can help us to keep our environments clean and sterile. Now, disgust doesn't just apply to to physical material like I described, but people can also feel a disgust disgust response to ideas that they don't like. And you can see this quite a lot in, in the culture wars that are going on where when when people encounter others that have ideas which are different from them, they can feel a combination of disgust and anger. So not only anger, that you believe ideas that are different from, from mine, which I think are dangerous, but even a disgust response of these ideas are actually totally repellent. And disgust is often linked with a quest for purity and, and sterility. You see this... For example, with the Nazis, so the Nazis had were, were reaching towards this idea of ideological and, and genetic purity. And this quest for purity is often paired with a disgust response towards anything that might violate that sense of purity. So really, an unhealthy disgust response is often mirrored by what you might call an unhealthy quest for purity. In Judaism, they actually have a tradition where they purposefully, uh, if they're drinking wine, they might purposefully add a couple of drops of water to their wine. And that is said to emphasize this idea that purity to some some degree is an illusion. So it's to to make an absurdity out of the idea of purity and to realize that it is uh, a bit of a fallacy to constantly be on a quest for for purity. Yet another example is with Communism, when communism emerged in the beginning of the 20th century, many people referred to that as a idea pathogen or an an intellectual contagion, and and people were worried that it was going to spread around the world. Which of course it, it did to a to a to a large degree prior to its decline in the late 20th century. So let's discuss jealousy. Jealousy is to defend against something important being taken away from you. So what's a classic example of jealousy? Uh, You're jealous because someone you think is flirting with your partner. Uh, In psychiatry, we have a thing called delusional jealousy, which is also called Othello syndrome. And that's when a person becomes delusionally convinced that their partner is cheating on them. So jealousy is a means of defending against that. So it's something that you already have, that you're worried that you're going to lose. And we feel jealous in response to that. And that's different from envy. Envy is kind of a reaction to a difference in status between you and somebody else. And so normally what the envy would motivate you to do is either to try to elevate your status or to bring down someone else's status. If you have a neighbor that just bought a new Tesla, you might feel envious. And you can respond to that envy by either trying to get a Tesla for yourself or by trying to take away their Tesla. Now, obviously, society as it's set up today, I think envy does tend to motivate more trying to bring up your own status rather than trying to bring down someone else's. But of course, that's always a possibility, you know, and, and envy can motivate some pretty dark behaviors. So that's envy. What's about anxiety and fear? So anxiety and fear is about protecting you from a, from a threat, normally in contrast to anger, by taking some form of evasive action. So anger can be a response to threat when you intend to actively defend yourself. And anxiety and fear is a response to a threat by leaving the situation as, as fast as possible. And of course, this is this dichotomy is uh, reflected in, in the, the fight or flight response that we have. What's about positive emotions? If you look at joy, for instance, the purpose of joy is to get you to continue doing something that made you feel the joy in the first place. And I think the idea behind this is that if some, something does bring you joy, there's a good chance that it's beneficial for you and therefore it behooves you as an individual to continue doing that thing. So it's essentially a positive feedback loop and even though joy is a positive emotion it, it doesn't mean that always feeling joyful is a good thing uh, and joy can be like the other emotions very healthy if you feel joy because you're doing something you love doing like working on a project that you find really interesting and that brings you joy and i get you to continue working on the project and so on and so forth then that's very healthy and, and productive but if you feel joy because you've taken a drug, for instance, uh, like speed or, or cocaine, then that obviously can be quite harmful. So remember about those modifying forces we can we, we discussed earlier, joy, joy, like all the other emotions, can be hijacked uh, for, for purposes that aren't necessarily beneficial for us long term. What about gratitude? Gratitude is a bit like the mirror image of sadness in that it's reflecting on things that have been positive or beneficial for you, but things that haven't necessarily been taken away. Often people might feel sadness and gratitude in combination with each other. And we call that that bittersweet feeling. So gratitude, again, is a kind of inventory of what's been really good for me and, and why. And obviously this can help inform our future plans as well. Love is to promote social bonding and that can obviously be friends or family but can also apply to romantic partners and it's about reinforcing the importance of that relationship and positively enforcing spending more time together having more experiences together human beings are very social animals so one of the reasons that we have love is to promote that continual, continuous social bonding across time going back to some negative emotions we have guilt guilt is useful to reflect on something that you did wrong which violates your system of values so if you think about it you find you have a system of values everyone has their own system of values and then society might have its system of values which is kind of a rough consensus of the individuals which comprise that society now, if you, do that, if you do something which you think is wrong, which violates your system of values, then you tend to feel guilty. And of course, as we all know, guilt can be hijacked by other people. Uh, people can manipulate you into feeling guilty. And if someone really knows what your value system is, so for example, if they know that you value honesty and they can call you out on being dishonest, they might do that in order to evoke a feeling of guilt in order to get you to do what they want. Guilt is slightly different to shame. Shame is an emotion which gets us to reflect on something which we did wrong that violates the group's system of value. So you might do something which you don't think is particularly wrong, like you're a 17-year-old and you go out drinking, for example, that doesn't necessarily violate your value system but maybe it violates your parents. And when your parents find out, you might not feel guilty, but you might feel ashamed because obviously you have a close relationship to your parents. And even if you have a slightly different value system, it doesn't mean you're totally immune to the value systems of the people around you. Regret. Regret is an emotion which helps us reflect on the mistake or misstep that we did, but not necessarily a mistake which violates anyone's value system so if i choose one way of doing a project over another and the path i chose didn't work out and then i see my colleague and he chose the path i could have chosen and he's a lot more successful with that i'm probably not going to feel guilty in the sense that i didn't do anything that violated my own moral system i'm not going to feel ashamed because it didn't violate anyone else's moral system But I might feel regret, because I might feel that had I thought about it longer or harder, that I might have come to a different conclusion, and I might have chosen the more successful path. So that's regret. And now to wrap up, let's go over some discussion points. The way you can think about emotions is emotions are a signal that are worth paying attention to. Obviously, the cliché, which I don't think really people subscribe to that much anymore but the cliched idea is that emotions are a sign of weakness and to a degree that's true in the sense that we're all quite fragile even the strongest uh, among us are, are vulnerable and we're mortal we're mortal creatures so in that sense emotions are reflective of the fact that we do have vulnerabilities and certainly it's not a sign of weakness to be conversant about your emotions to be introspective to be aware of what your emotions are but actually being more aware of your emotions really puts you in the best position to respond to them and therefore to navigate a lot of the challenges that that life is going to throw at you. Now some emotions can be more reliable than others and really what you want to do is become a student of your emotions So you want to, for example, create the distinction between anger that you feel that you think is justified versus anger that is more of a sign of your immaturity. Uh, Similarly, you might feel anxious for a very valid reason. In other situations, you might feel anxious because you're simply inadequately prepared for a situation or it's a situation you never encountered before. So you want to learn to distinguish between the different shades and colors of emotions you feel. And times when you feel your emotional response is very, very reliable and very important to react to in the moment. And other times where maybe more reflection is is warranted. So let's take another example. If you're feeling anxious because you're walking down a dark alley, that makes sense. There, There is the actual possibility that you might encounter a threat in a dark alley and maybe you shouldn't spend a huge amount of time hanging out in dark alleys. On the other hand if you feel anxious because you're about to walk into a party you feel socially anxious then that's quite different the chance that you're going to encounter a real threat to your safety at a party is quite small and therefore in that instance what's more called for is a bit of a reflection and introspection about your anx- anxiety in that situation why do i feel anxious around people and Do I want to spend time around people? Do I want to form relationships? If so, then that anxiety is something I'm going to have to get through one way or another. So you want to become a student of your your emotions. Whatever emotion you feel at any given point in time, you do want to validate that. You want to allow yourself to feel it, even if it might not be the most appropriate emotion. So going back to our socially anxious person at the party it's still important that he lets himself experience the anxiety first. This is something obviously that Freud brought to the forefront when he talked about repression. You don't want to repress emotions. The first thing you want to do with all of the emotions we feel is acknowledge them and actually let yourself experience them and then take action as you think is appropriate. So if, for example, you feel angry a lot, there isn't much sense in just stuffing that anger down. That's probably just going to make it worse, especially in the medium to long term. You want to acknowledge the anger and then try and deconstruct it and figure out what are the different factors that might be predisposing me to feel angry. And then what action do I want to take? Where, where, What, what part of this anger is coming from a justified place? What part of it is coming from my own immaturities, etc.? And the more you pay attention to your emotional states, the better you'll become at it. So it is a skill that you will develop across time and develop more uh, aptitude with across time. You want to be really mindful of those modifying forces we talked about earlier. So part of it will be paying attention to the relationship between your external circumstances and the emotions you're feeling. Do you feel more angry, for instance, when you haven't slept do you feel more anxious if you've had 3 cups of coffee? Do you feel calmer if you've had a big meal, etc, cetera, etc? Cetera. And the last point I I want to mention, something worth considering is that there's an increasing discrepancy between the environment our our emotions evolved in and our modern environment. And yet, the emotional systems we have have largely remained the same. And this can obviously have a profound impact on on how we experience life. So you might find yourself feeling as angry in a boardroom as you might have felt a thousand years ago if you were under attack by a neighbouring tribe. If someone says something in the boardroom you don't like, that's why you feel the instinct to punch that person in the face. But of course you can't punch that person in the face because you're in a boardroom. So there are a lot of natural instincts that we have that you can't get away with in a modern context, all the more reason that we have to be even more emotionally intelligent than when we've ever been, to develop ways of responding to our emotions, ways to let our emotions out, to express them in a healthy way, so that they don't come out in an unhealthy way in this modern context where it can be so impactful and lead to so many problems down the road. Thank you so much for listening. Don't punch anyone in the face. We don't need that kind of litigation. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we'd love it if you share it with a friend or you could give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. If you fancy it, you can even buy us a coffee to support the team and the links for that will be in the show notes. Thanks for listening.